Welcome to the Run Radio Podcast. My name is Trina. My guest today is someone entering into the writer's room and can tell us even more beyond just her writing, but it's Sandra Panton. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you, you've you done a lot of things. You've worked with youth. You've been a teacher. You're a speaker and a motivator. So what? how have you rolled all this into a book? Well, I in it's just been a natural organic progression. I started out um, more of a youth leader and it evolved that somehow the youth and the kids would always come to me and could share the situations. I kind of have an eye for seeing the ones on the fringes and I would go and try to encourage them and I would hear the stories. And then I guess I just had this blessed innate way to be able to relate to them and they're able to see from a different perspective because I tell them it's not the situation, it's how you're responding to it. And you can't go through life expecting to get rid of your parents or change your parents out because everybody wants somebody else's parents at some point, right? And I get them to understand how they can manage their mindset and how managing their mindset, it, instead of allowing their emotions to kind of run ahead of them and kind of be what guides them and leads them and controls them. So in doing that, I realized also with parents that parents in that adolescent phase want to pull their hair out. They don't know how to relate. And we've come to accept the language that that's just how they are or that's normal. You know, they never talk to this age or there's a lot of misunderstanding that leaves a disconnect and creates a force. And we're seeing the suicide rates, the self-harm rates, the, you know, issues in schools and, you know, you name it, the news has been ripe with all the things because kids are not able to manage their emotions and parents don't necessarily know what to do with it or even the signs to look for in their kids. So just little nuances and all of that, I figured I can only speak to so many people, but a book can go around the globe. So with this book, I'm hoping that, you know, we'll do book clubs, parent clubs, you know, kids will be able to use it. Schools will be able to use it to kind of know that it's simple, small changes can make profound impact, profound benefits. You, you said something about, you know, not letting your emotions control you. And that is something I feel like we need to learn at an earlier age, because even as adults, we're kind of scratching our heads going, how do I deal with this? What do I do? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And they, like they say, there's no manual when you have a kid, right? And we as parents tend to feel a sense of guilt and even shame at levels like I should know, but nobody taught you. Yeah. You know, we don't know what we don't know, yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you you know, we have this sense of absolute, you know, we're kind of like deer in headlights, but for just a little more information, you can realize, A, you parent as you were parented, number one, right? And then you parent, if you're parenting through a lens of guilt or shame or insecurity or inefficiency, then that's going to color everything that you do with your kid. And it comes through for them because they're already feeling those emotions and you're feeling those emotions. And you're both coming together, trying to kind of defend yourself, protect your heart in those situations. And it's, I like to say that's red brain to red brain. I teach the kids about red brain and blue brain mm -hmm. and mindset is key. So if we have two of those coming together, it's never going to end well. 
what age group do you target with the book? Um, well, the book is geared towards parents that have adolescents. So okay. adolescents are anywhere from 10 and up. Um, so I directly coach and teach 10 years and up. And the book is geared towards kind of parents with kids in that age group. What's well, one of the bigger issues you see with parents and I don't want to say getting it wrong, but not exactly getting it how they want and how it could be better. Well, I think one of the foundational things is to understand the mindset of your adolescent, because mm -hmm. when we have younger kids, we have appropriate expectations. So, you know, we put uh, things in the socket and we close the drawers because we expect that they're going to go in there, but we do something to kind of help them with that. But when we see the kids, especially if they look grown, we have an expectation that they act like adults and more mature than they actually have the capacity to. So the science tells us that their brain and their decision-making and their emotional, their ability to make good decisions isn't set yet. But yet we expect them to make good decisions as though that part of their brain is actually set, but it doesn't set until I think they say the 20s. So just to understand that sometimes when they're doing things, it's not defiance, it's not, you know, to be seen as a negative, just an indication to remind you they just don't know what they don't know. And they're trying to, you know, sink or swim, kind of, you know, figure things out. But if we can help them, to, it's okay to feel that feeling. It's okay to, to not get it right 100% of the time. You shouldn't have an expectation of getting it right all the time. And parents should also know that also, there's no expectation. What's right for one parent and works for one family won't work the same way for the next. So comparing yourself to someone else, actually, it can be a detriment. You just want to live your unique, you see, unique, unique ways, and the book kind of helps you to kind of apply it personally to your situation. What's your so take? Think, mm -hmm. what's, what's your take for parents and for kids on social media today? Because it's just gotten to be, it, it crept up and took off quickly, and it has been on so many platforms. You know, young and old, we're all you know reached out by it and connect with it. So well, do you have thoughts on that and how we could maybe do better or learn from it instead of it sending people on a negative path? Um, a few things. Um, mm -hmm. And I do address that the whole section in the book, but they have number one, I would say is the misconception that our kids are hooked on it and that they will not let it go if we don't replace it with something positive. So instead of just removing it from them and saying, go put down the device and, you know, we need to have, instead of that, give them an option. So, hey, we're playing board games and there are no phones. Okay, we're going for a bike ride, there are no phones. We're going to do something and set um, something that they will enjoy, right? When we try to force it from them, and I, I've seen situations consistently where, it's kind of a tool. So if you're good today, you get your device. Mm. If you're bad today, oh no, give me back the device. And we keep doing this give and take. So we're building a, an association that whenever they have it, um, you know, they, they're going to look to hold on to it more because it's seen as a value statement of, of their behavior versus mm. I've given you a gift and I don't take back gifts that I give you. But if I see that you're hooked on the gift, then it's my responsibility. I'm going to say, okay, how can we 
do something different because yes, the device is fine. There's nothing wrong with the device, but I want you to be more balanced. So we need to all have some reading time. We'll all do some family time. We'll all cook together for dinner or do something that's engaging that also gives you a double benefit because now you're spending quality time with the kid and you're cooking, you're walking. And I can't tell you how many families have done that, that they've not only got the benefit of being outside fresh air and all of that, but they've got the benefit. I can't believe that my child actually told me this, or now we're having conversations. Now I know who their friends are. Now I'm hearing things that they're not going to tell you if you just take away the device because they're in yeah. resistance mode when you do that. But double that with the parents are the greatest role model. Uh -huh. So if you're telling them to put down the device, but while you're doing it, you're in your phone. Uh, right? yeah. <laughs> or when you're you're saying, okay, you, you, you've got to have some breaks, but you never have a break. Yeah. then that doesn't, that doesn't go well with them. But if everybody's putting the phone in the basket when we're having dinner or on movie night or, and they see you hit off when your phone rings or they hear it vibrating, but you don't touch it. Now they're seeing, and they're going to be much more likely to model what you've modeled for them. Now, as a teacher, I'm assuming you've been in a classroom situation with students. I teach remotely online. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So what... what I, I think your your the teachers could benefit from this as well. What do you think is one of the biggest things teachers are up against that either community could do to help or even parents, anybody could be doing? Because teachers are, as you know, overwhelmed, overwhelmed under-respected, yes, <laughs> underpaid, yes, yes. devalued, and they do so much. So well, what's your take on all of that? Well, I would say that we need to understand where the resume, the job description ends. It's not the teacher's responsibility to develop emotional intelligence in our kids, right? We put too much on them to manage their behavior and how they handle things. And we give it, the teacher is there to teach them certain subjects, to teach them instruments or whatever they're hired to do within that their, their specialty. And yes, as part of that, they're, they kind of teach them, model them some emotional intelligence, but the core of their emotional intelligence, the core of that child's self-esteem comes from home. It doesn't come from school. Now, when they go to school, the teachers augment what you've already developed. They're the extension of your home, but they cannot replace it. So I think with all this, you know, this learner-centered um, projects and initiatives that they're pushing out, they're putting those on the teachers, but they need to bring in people from the community. They need to have parent groups maybe in the schools. It's okay. What kind of challenges are you having? We can bring somebody in to speak on that. What, you know, we can maybe find you put you in small groups with the same type of situations and find you somebody who can speak to that. But they, they put too much pressure on the teacher who's already everything overloaded, right? And it, it's it's unrealistic. And now we get frustrated, the teachers or the school to say that they're not doing their bit, but we're putting things on their plate that are that not, not theirs to, I believe not their responsibility. Do you think emotional intelligence should be a, a subject in schools? Should we be kind of going over those skills and develop them some? Well, that's hard it's a yes and a no okay because yes we should but 
emotional intelligence isn't something that everyone can teach. Okay. Right. It's your, it, because I've seen it work and I've seen it go horribly wrong where someone's supposed to, but they're trying to teach kids, but in their experience, they're still frustrated. Their parents, they, school system, they, and then that's coming through. So a lot okay. of those kids are coming out angry, frustrated, confused. They're not getting the essence of what they, it's not just a technical thing. It's it's more innate skills and your ability to resonate with people and be able to spin on a dime and say, okay, what I said here and be able to see the look in their eye or the body language change and say, okay, they took that the wrong way. Let me spin on it or let me pause and ask. Most people don't have that ability. And it's crucial at this age that the right people are in those arenas because it can go horribly wrong. What about mental health? If you have the right trained people, do you think we should be incorporating that into our schools? I think they should have some type of outlet, right? Okay. So in my estimation, we're coming with a lot of this generation that has very low self-esteem, mm. right? And a lot of times parents give me their kids and says, like, one of the things on the list that they want to accomplish is their self-confidence. But self-confidence comes from the home. It comes from how you talk and engage and how you, you know, the things you do at home. Anyone else, you know, is an extension of that. Now, coaches and, and people that do kind of what I do can say, okay, I can take that child despite their situation and kind of help them change their mindset and kind of level up. It's easier if it's a cooperation, but it can be done. But then, yes, you know, their different styles take different lengths of time. So it, it yeah. there's, there's no, you know, there are some kids that have been, you know, going to for mental health help for months and months and months, and it's not done anything. Some kids have gone and they've been able to have that outlet to kind of be a sounding board for them. And there are some that have read a book, heard a talk, and it's like spun on a dime. So it, it's kind of, it's not a one-stop resource for everyone. You know, it, it's, it has to vary, um, depends on the need, depends on the child, depends on what they're going through. So I find I can't give one answer. <laughs> That's fine. That's perfectly fine. Well, we're going back to the the adolescents and the parents and starting at home. What what are some of the smaller things that they can do to build that, start building a better relationship? It seems like I would my first guess would be little things like going back to the you know, dinner table, everybody do dinner and, and ha just communicate. Is that something that is a, a big deal these days with breakdowns in families? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. There's tons of research to show that, you know, we've, we've had this fall off, it would seem in connection within families and the communication because we're not spending time together. And like you said, social media. So all of us are in the car, but everybody's on a device. All right. of us, so maybe even walking, but we're on a device, you know, we're at the dinner table, but we're on a device. Three TVs ago when everybody's in their own room before we only had one TV. So everybody <laughs> was around the TV, right? Yeah. Now with a TV in every room, everybody kind of, you know, nobody has to compromise and say, okay, I'll watch your show this week or Thursdays we watch this show, then this, thing. Yeah. There's, there's no cooperation. Everybody wants to do a different show. Okay, everybody go to their room. Everybody has their own device and we're, we're not communicating. So we need to 
be deliberate, right? In the small things we need to, you know, I love to advocate for game nights because you always have, especially the older teens who don't want to play. They think it's boring. They're going to have a fit, you know, but then they'll sit there on the sidelines, jumping in every two seconds, right? And throwing in a bit when they see you, the rest of them giggling. And my thing is, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're not in the game. You don't, you don't get to say anything. And then they're going to jump in the next round and everybody's there. And then it becomes the greatest thing. And they look forward to it because they want the connection. They want to be seen. But if the adults are not kind of navigating, not pushing it, not forcing it, not mandating it, encouraging it and finding ways for your child, what is the best way and what kind of thing do they, do they want to do? right? What what thing will stretch them a little bit, but let them know that you see them. You're not trying to get them to conform. You're trying to say, okay, I see you. You like, what do you like? And just having open conversations. So dinner, game nights, and dinner doesn't have to be every night because realistically schedules don't line up like that. Yeah. We do the Sunday afternoon brunches, right? Or do Sunday morning breakfast before everybody goes their way. Or there, there's as the saying goes, where there is a will, there is a way. Yeah. Very right. Good, very good. And we have to remember why we work. We work these jobs. We want to make this money, develop these businesses. Why? So that you can give it to your family. So you can have this relationship. But we tend to do it backwards. We get the money, we get the business are running. And then you look, your kids are grown and they want nothing to do with you. Yeah. And it, it you know, so... There's always a way yeah. to juggle time. There is always a way, no matter how busy our schedules is, if we are committed. I even say, you know, there are dads that, you know, work CEOs and, you know, working on, you know, businesses and they can't, you know, do this. But you can book one day a week to say, I'm going to video lunch with my kid. When you come up for dinner, we're going to do dinners together. I'm in my office, door closed. And I tell, you know, parents, don't tell your boss, I'm doing dinner with my kid or, you know, say I have, I'm already booked for that time. Do you have another time that we can do? Mm -hmm. So you're prioritizing it and nine out of 10 times you get to keep it because of how you valued it. But if we tell everybody, okay, I'm doing it with my kid. Now you're going to get the pushback from your boss, your business and everywhere else. And we're going to get that sense of guilt and be torn. And yeah, we get frustrated with our family because we want to be there, but we can't, and we feel inadequate. So now we come out mm -hmm. red brick. Right. And that's what keeps that cycle going. All right. Let's say the a parent has has missed the adolescent stage and they've got this teenager that they're bumping heads with, I guess, would you say both red brain? Red brains, okay. yes. <laughs> so, but but the, you know, you've got a teenager that's coming a young adult and they still want to learn they, they've heard of you now and they're like, okay, this is what I needed then, but I've got it now. What can they do to start repairing or just doing what they should have done sooner? Mm. How can they get back on track, reroute? Couldn't do that at any point, as long as that child knows that you see them, okay. not your expectation. So mm -hmm. a lot of times we're looking at the ac academics, you know, you get an A's and we, you know, because that's kind of how we were seen, right? You were kind of, you know, what, what were your grades in that class and what, why did you get a B? And, you know, we're looking at what they do, but they did um, some research. I heard that they were, the kids were split into three groups. One group was praised based on what they did. They got the A, the, the results. The other group was praised based on the effort. So whether they got the A or not, they were praised on effort. Mm -hmm. 
The third group was just given a high five. No expectations, they were just given a high five. And over the span of the research, they looked at the results. And which group do you think was the most stressed of the three? The most stressed? Yes. Um, one or three? One or three. It was one. Okay. Because when we consistently praise our kids and only time we see them, everything's about when we see them, we only see them when they've accomplished something. So now they're going to feel in order to be seen, uh, they must continually accomplished. Yeah. And that becomes too much pressure, yeah. right? Yes. So those kids will go into perfectionism. Those kids will go into procrastination. Those kids will go into self-harm. Those kids will, you know, depend. They don't know how to handle that. Depends on where they are. The middle group did better because they knew all they had to do is put forth the effort, not really based on the results. So they did better. But the third group who only got a high five knew that it didn't matter whether I put forth the effort, it didn't matter if I got the grade, you saw me and valued me just because I am. That group tried higher, they were more resilient, they didn't quit, they, they had all the characteristics that we want developed in our kids. So now if you want to rebuild, then just make sure your kid sees you. And so that simply looks like, you know, if they're not talking to you right now, you can just simply see them, let them see you looking at them, but not in a sense of judgment. Everything's about how they see, you know, how you're looking at them. Just look at them and smile. Because say, you know what? How are you feeling today? Anything I can help you with? Or sometimes I say you just bump the shoulder as you go past the fridge and smile and just keep going. We don't always have to have the big conversations, but just do the little things every day. You know, they like the peanut butter that's chunky and everybody else likes it smooth and the family always gets it smooth, get the chunky for them, right? Let them know that they're an individual or by themselves and you see them for themselves. And then you'll see that they'll start to have a little, they'll start to soften a little bit, right? It's hard to give, it depends on, you know, when parents tell me the exact situation, I can be more targeted. But generally, the child just wants to know that you see them and love them just because they are. So that's what you affirm that. And that's going to start that nutcracking and blossoming. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I want to go back to the one, two, and three. Were you saying the second group did the best or the third? Third group did the best. Okay, I was still third thinking it would have been the second one. because Now, why? Because they were, why was the second not? Because there was still an expectation. There was still so they were still judged okay. based on the fact that they had to do something. Oh, okay. Versus, and I you can see. look at that based on your relationships with even those that we like to be around and who we love the most, right? Uh -huh. If every time you see me, you want something from me or you're judging me or asking me what oh, I did, okay. that's more versus, okay, you're asking me how much did I do versus you just like being in my presence. Okay. No expectation. We don't need to have the conversation. You just like being with me now around you. I'm going to feel more inclined to put forth the effort and more safe okay. to go for the A and feel if I fall for the B, it's not going to shift how you see me or feel or engage with me. Okay. My logic, I was afraid that the third group thought that it didn't matter what they did. See, I uh, thought they didn't think it was important and that they just got a <laughs> dismissal. But I mean, I, I, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you, that's what we think <laughs> what logically, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what we think logically. Yeah, yeah. But we're addressing them with the heart. Okay. And when they know that your heart, you know, because logic, they know they want for themselves, they want the A. 
they yeah. want for themselves to achieve. So it's not that they suddenly don't want to achieve, but now a lot of times we don't try because we're scared to fail, yeah. right? We don't put yes. forth. So yeah. now if they feel safe trying, they're going to be more courageous because even if they fail, when they fail, they can come back and they can say, okay, well, this didn't work out. And you can talk to them and help coach them in a way that say, oh, that makes sense. And I'll try again, but it didn't work. Oh, okay. Then try again versus how come you didn't get the A? Now they're going to feel like they can't come to us with a B or a C because they're going to get that look of displeasure or that tone in the voice. And a lot of times they say, you know, most people don't scratch the surface of their potential because of fears and insecurities. Right. Tell people where they can go to find your book and connect with you because this is some valuable information that everyone needs. Ah, okay. So the book is called Dynamic Parenting 2.0 and it's on Amazon. Uh, Kindle or print version is available and you can reach me. My website is sandrafosterconsulting.com. So I say Sandra, but it's people spell it Sandra, but <laughs> okay, I get it. I've, I've got a Sandra. Yes, fosterconsulting.com. Yes. Yes. Um, or you could email me if you have questions. I love hearing from parents. I love the light bulb moments. I love the simplicity. It may seem complicated, but you shoot me an email, Sandra at sandrapostaconsulting.com and just put question in caps in the subject line and I will definitely take a second to respond, right? Sounds great. I appreciate your time. And if you have anything else you want to talk about in the future, if you have another book, please come back. It <laughs> will do. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so, much. so much. All right. Thanks.